Well, good to see you this morning. Good to see each one of you here. And as as you know, we're in First Peter, so you can turn there in First Peter four as we work our way through God's precious word. And you know, Peter was dealing with a culture in the first century that was imposing its hostile will upon believers in that time. And there was a lot of suffering and there was a lot of difficulty and and there were trials and it was very, very difficult to follow Christ in that culture. And so Peter was addressing by guidance of the Spirit these believers who had been stretched and pushed and pulled and torn and 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 they'd been suffering. And so that's the whole message. And what we've been looking at in First Peter is just reiterated and reemphasized and repeated over and over and over again. And life is in the 21st century, it's full of trials. I mean, when you first came into this world, what's the first thing that happened to most of you? You got slapped on the behind really hard. And that's kind of an introduction. I mean, you don't remember that. I mean, my wife has a great memory. I think she probably does remember that. I don't know. She has an excellent memory. I'm amazed at her memory. And so it's kind of just a rude awakening to come into this world, and it has all kinds of trials, both minor and major, both, uh, you know, just kind of irritating and then completely devastating. Life is full of trials and full of suffering. We were talking the other day with Esther. She was over at our house, and and um, she's uh, two and a half, going to be three in April, and you know how, how they can be. And Esther is so precious and so sweet, but she's also um, unique. Yeah. Very, she has that little sin nature in her, and so her mom and dad are, are doing a good job trying to train her. She's very particular. She's very opinionated. She is already a very, very, very strong little woman. And uh, she had been staying with uh, someone else, and, uh, and that, uh, that individual uh, did not follow mom and dad's instructions as far as what she could have and what she couldn't have. And uh, so after she came back from this visit, uh, she announced, uh, I had sweet tea. I had gum, two things that she's not allowed to have. Well, she was saying this over and over again, and she was just letting anyone know that would listen to her that she had sweet tea and she had gum, two things that were not allowed. And so she was repeating this again. This had gone on for about four or five days, and uh, she was letting us know what she had gotten by with. And you never want to do anything around a little child. They'll tell everything, won't they? They will tell on you. And so she was repeating this again at our house. And uh, she said, I had sweet tea. I had gum. And so I I just tried to use it as a little training opportunity. And I said, you know, sweetheart, I said, whenever you're away from your mom and dad or whenever you're around other people and they... uh, They would let you have something or ask if you want something that your mom and dad has said that you can't have. The best thing to do in order to obey your mom and dad is to tell them, no, thank you, but that I'm not allowed to have that right now. And you should have seen the tortured expression on her face. 
as she was listening to me, knowing that she should listen to me as her grandfather, knowing that I never told her anything up until this point that was wrong or was not good for her, and I was lovingly explaining that she knew what I was saying. was It was a trial for this little girl. It pained her. It tortured her, and I could see it on her face as she thought about having to deny something when she could get by with it and not obeying her parents, which she knew she should do. And it was just so difficult. So what did she do? She changed the subject as quickly as she could. <laughs> Life is full of trials, small and large, from when you're young. And it doesn't change when you get older, does it? During this time, secular historians tell us that uh, the Roman emperor, Nero, to light the pathways to his outdoor parties would take Christians that had been arrested, taken into custody for their Christian faith. He would have them bound in ropes on poles. Those poles lifted up into holes in the ground. Pitch or tar would be placed all over moms and dads and young people who were believers. And as they were wrapped fast by these ropes, lifted up high on poles, covered with pitch and tar, and then they would be sprinkled along the outskirts, posted where he would have his outdoor parties and drinking parties and carousing with dignitaries and high-ranking officials and people who were in the upper social class those believers would be lit on fire to light the way to his parties and to give surrounding light for Nero's parties. We can't imagine anything like that. To suffer in that way for Christ. So that was what was going on in Peter's time. And I want us to read together in 1 Peter 4, We'll take the next couple, maybe even three weeks, working through these two verses because there's so much here. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange, peculiar, out of the ordinary, concerning the fiery trial. There's a trigger word that would have brought those images to mind of what was happening to other believers perhaps even some family members of these believers that were specifically addressed. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. There's so much in these two verses this morning. So much, not only for the believers of the first century who are enduring such suffering, but for us 
And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how this week has been. I don't know what kind of season you're in. It seems like sometimes suffering, you know, goes through periods or seasons in our life. And although we deal with irritations and we deal with problems and just living in this Genesis 3 world, this fallen world that we live in, there's all kinds of things that just cause us discomfort and trouble and worry and concern and anxiety. They wouldn't really be called suffering because everyone goes through the same things. But then there are things that, that happen to each of us that, that they weigh on us. And, and, and there are times where it's so difficult that, that when you wake up, it's the first thing on your mind. It's, it's on your mind all the time, even though you're thinking of other things and dealing with things. It's always there. It's weighing on you. It's a burden. And we all know of situations like that where we have family members that we're concerned for. Or we have, we have uh, relationships that are broken or, or we have suffering physically or financially or, or whatever it might be that it's just always there. You add on top of that, for these believers, the constant threat of being exposed because you're a follower of Christ. Of meeting together like we're meeting today. And some believers are in this same situation. And although they're worshiping and worshiping the Lord and they're singing, even so, Lord Jesus, come. They are listening for the sound of someone coming in to their building and arresting their leaders, and arresting some of them, and saying they can't meet anymore under threat of punishment. We need to continually pray for those believers like that in different places of the world, experiencing that now. We don't have to worry about that yet. There are a few things that that we see here in these two verses that we need to remember when we're going through times of suffering. First of all, You are loved. Do you see that first word in verse 12? Beloved. You're loved. This is to believers, of course. This is a promise that is is just to us. You are loved. Five times in Peter's writings, he addresses the believers in the first century with this term, beloved, beloved, beloved. 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 There are themes that Peter keeps going back to over and over again as he's dealing with suffering. And one of those themes is the fact that you are not to forget that you are loved. Sometimes it, it's, it's so difficult and sometimes we, we're so stressed by what is going on in our lives that it, it's, it's easy to forget that, that we're loved. We are loved by the Lord. The Old Testament source where we see this term in Daniel 9.23. And I want you to turn there, hold your place in 1 Peter, but Daniel 9.23. You remember the Daniel praying and you remember the angel speaking to Daniel and Daniel's encounter as he prayed and as he sought the Lord. In Daniel 9.23, it says, At the beginning of thy supplication, this is an angel, a messenger from heaven, 
speaking to Daniel. At the beginning of thy supplication or thy prayer, the commandment came forth. In other words, from the very top, an order was issued. God Himself gave instructions to communicate with Daniel, who was communicating with heaven. The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, the angel is saying to Daniel, for thou art greatly beloved. Was this coming from the angel's heart, or was this just communicated to the angel in order to pass along to Daniel? Well, I believe that this angel knew how loved Daniel was. I believe this was coming from the top. This was something that had been mentioned by the Father. You go speak to Daniel, for he is greatly beloved. And so the angel picks up on what he has heard from the Father when he was given these instructions. And he relays this to Daniel and said, You've been praying, and I'm here to give you your instructions. I'm here to tell you what the Father has said because you are greatly beloved. What a comfort, not only to get the instructions, not only to get an answer to prayer, but just to know that you're loved. You see in chapter 10, verses 11 and 19, this is repeated. And again, this is an angel speaking to Daniel, and he said, So this is right from heaven. This is the message from heaven to Daniel. It is the message to you if you're in trials and difficulty as God's child. Verse 11, And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. And then in verse 19, And said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto you. Be strong, yes, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And then he said, And I said, Let the Lord speak to me now. I am strengthened. Do you remember when Jesus, in the very first of His public ministry, as He was being baptized, and Mark's Gospel records this, Matthew records it, but in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, you see Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan. You've got the scene. You know it well. And Mark is often referred to as Peter's Gospel. And we spent a little bit of time there, about eight years, didn't we, going through Mark. So you'll remember this. It was probably eight or nine years ago when we were in Mark 3. I don't remember exactly when, but you'll remember that, sure. Some of you weren't even born yet. And when Jesus came up out of the water, you'll remember what the Father said from heaven. What did He say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased here. This is my beloved son. The angel speaking to Daniel, you are greatly beloved. The father speaking to his son, this is my beloved son. The same terms. A little while later, as Paul was writing his instructions to the churches, he uses this term in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, speaking of us, Speaking of those of us who have trusted in the Lord, who have received His love, demonstrated, poured out at the cross, those of us who have been washed by His blood, and we've been cleansed 
because of what he's done for us, out of giving his life for us, no greater love is any one than this than to lay down their life. And Paul said to the believers there in Ephesus, what? You are accepted in what? The beloved. You're beloved. When you're going through trial and difficulty, small or great, first thing you need to remember is that you are loved. Over and over and over again, we see this term in Scripture far too numerous for us to go to every passage. But I want you to turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. John is often called the apostle of love. I'm not just bringing that up because it's Valentine's Day, but that's just where we are in Scripture. You know, I'm not a special day type preacher. and uh, But uh, he is the, uh, the apostle. He, he just said, I'm the one Jesus loved. He wouldn't even mention his name. He would speak in the third person as he was writing. I'm the the one that Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he just never got over the fact that the Lord loved him, poured his love out upon him. He never got over it. And so he uses this term when writing 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, beloved, beloved, beloved. He was a pastor at this time, aged, well on in years, but he was a man filled with the love of Christ, love God's people, love the Lord Jesus. And he writes about this in 1 John 3, Behold, verse 1, What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we, you and I, should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, we are now the sons of God the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. But we know that when He shall appear, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Not only are you loved, but the second thing that we need to remember is you see before you is you're not singled out. Don't think it out of the ordinary. Don't think that you're the only one that's going through difficulty or suffering. You're the only one that may be dealing with a particular instance of suffering just like you're going through, but you're not the only one going through suffering. You're not the only one dealing with struggle. You're not the only one that's lost a loved one. You're not the only one that's dealt with cancer. You're not the only one that has been overwhelmed by burdens and cares and difficulties that just seem to come on you like a flood and they just keep coming and they never let up, it seems like. You're not the only one. You say, well, that doesn't help me very much. What we think about has a powerful impact on how we feel. And what the Word of God is reminding us is, listen, if you just think about how miserable you have it, how pitiful you are, how much of a victim you are, and you fall into that type of thinking because you're suffering this, there's nothing you can do about it, everyone else looks like they're having a great time, it is only me, nobody knows exactly what I have to deal with, nobody knows this husband that I've got, or the kids that I've got, or the parents, and whatever it is, nobody knows the job I have to deal with, and we're thinking this, and the enemy just keeps throwing this, yeah, no, you've got it bad, nobody knows, you're the only one. Has the enemy ever 
thrown that at you. Nobody really knows what you're going through. Nobody really knows what it's like to have to carry what you're carrying. Nobody knows what it's like to be lonely and single. Nobody knows what I'm dealing with right now. That is a that is an attack of the accuser, and that's exactly why it's addressed in the Word of God. You need to get your mind and get your thinking straight and say, Lord, I understand that so many of your children have gone through Things just as bad as what I'm going through and even worse. Now that doesn't relieve the suffering, but what it does, it helps to orient your thinking and recalibrate your thinking. And that is desperately needed when we're going through suffering because the enemy will just keep throwing fiery darts to just keep veering your thinking away from the truth of God. You are loved and you're not being singled out. You're not being left to deal with this alone as if God did not care for you. As if God is not concerned about what you are going through. You're not being singled out. Contrary to what the enemy will say. By the way, everything that the enemy throws at you, you can be assured it is always a lie. For he is a liar. And that's what he speaks. That's his native tongue. Jesus said what? He said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, what did Jesus say in John 16, 3? You remember this. In the world, you will have, what did Jesus say? And everything Jesus said is true. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you see the connection there between the common tribulation and suffering that all believers share in and Christ? He's saying, listen, You will have it, but let it bring you to me. Let it bring you to my goodness, to my grace. Let this suffering that you will encounter, I will not keep you from it. Even if I choose to and I do at times, do we realize how much God has kept us from? How much God has protected us from? But He will not. He has never promised this. And He will never do it. He will never change His promise that we will be protected from all tribulation. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But, direct link, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Suffering, trial, straight to Jesus. Our suffering, trial, oh, nobody knows. Nobody knows what I'm going through. You're not singled out. And thirdly, you are in Christ. In 1 Peter, in our passage, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange, out-of-the-ordinary, peculiar, never-happened-before-no-one-knows has happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. You are in Christ. Now in Romans 8, and I want you to turn there with me because it is so important that we understand this this morning, and especially as we're going through difficulty. You and I need to understand that there is a vital link that God has initiated through Christ in suffering to bring us to God. 
because God himself came down to us and suffered. God shouldn't have to suffer. God shouldn't have to be beaten. God shouldn't have to bleed. God shouldn't have to be pummeled over and over again with closed fist. God shouldn't have to be made fun of and mocked and ridiculed and being treated like an insane person. But he willingly chose to endure that suffering to identify with us. And it's not a one-way street. We identify with him in our suffering. That's what the scripture says over and over again. Now here's what I want you to understand, child of God. You are not suffering alone. You are in Christ. Because all that he suffered before the cross, that he endured leading up to the cross, all that he endured on the cross, he endured for you. He endured because of you. He endured as a result of your sin and my sin, your rebellion and my rebellion. It was not some abstract suffering. It was suffering with a connection to you and I. It was suffering on our behalf. This is also one of the key themes of Peter over and over again. The suffering of Christ for us. So I want you to know that when you're going through suffering, Christ has already suffered all of the pain that Sin's consequences produces. And so when you're enduring suffering because you live in a fallen world under the curse, when you're enduring suffering because of someone else's sin, when you're enduring suffering because of sickness, when you're enduring suffering because someone has mistreated you, when you're enduring suffering because someone in your family has died, which is a consequence of sin, all of that suffering has already been suffered for. And so I enter into Christ and I say, Lord, you've already suffered. Lord, my suffering, you've already been there. What I'm going through, you've already gone through. You have passed through that suffering and through death's door and you've triumphed over it all. And I am in you, and you're in me, and you've suffered for me, and I'm suffering, but you've been there, you understand. And so, Lord, all of it wraps me up in your grace. That is the absolute gospel truth for every child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, And if children, if you're a child of God, then you're heirs. Hey, what am I getting? What am I getting? I'm an heir. I love that. What's coming my way? Well, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. You're heirs of God and you're joint heirs with Christ. It's got a lot of good associated with that. But Paul has to bring this up. If so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Suffer with him. Keep your place there because we're going to come back there in just a moment. He took this suffering. He's already been there. Fourth, fourth thing you need to remember is that you're not home yet, are you? Which shall be revealed. Do you see that in Peter? 
We're not home yet. There's still going to be difficulty. There's still going to be struggle. You're a believer. You're a child of God. You're trying to serve the Lord. You're trying to honor the Lord. But we're not inoculated, insulated, isolated, put in some kind of a bubble from suffering. We understand that. We know that. And But remember, when you're going through suffering, it's good to go through the Word of God and to be remem- reminded that we are still in this world. We're not home yet. I mean, really like we needed to know that, but it's good to remind ourselves that this is not all there is. This is tough. It's difficult. Some days are worse than other days. Some seasons are worse than other days. Some blows in life are just, you don't get over them. But listen, we're not home yet. This is not anything like what's going to be revealed. We don't know. We read a while ago, we don't know what it's going to be like, but I can tell you one thing, it's going to be a lot better than this. No comparison. In fact, we can't even wrap our mind around what it's going to be. We can't even conceive. There's no way to get a handle on how good God's goodness is that's going to be poured out upon us. We're not home yet. It shall be revealed one day. Romans 8.18, you have your place there. It says this, For I reckon, good old southern word in it, It's really an accounting term in the Greek language. You put it on this ledger. All right, I'm going through suffering, going through difficulty, but I'm going to put on the other side of that ledger of suffering. I'm going to reckon it. I'm going to account it as true that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. There's no comparison with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's really no way to reconcile the books on this. It's so far out of balance. Our worst suffering... God's goodness. The worst days, the worst seasons, the worst times of our life, the glory that God has for the future grace that God has. There's no comparison and there's no way to understand how good home is going to be. 2 Corinthians 4, and this is really the premier passage on this particular topic in Scripture. I'm sure you probably have it marked. If you don't, you probably need to mark it. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not completely destroyed is the meaning. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest or shown or declared in a greater way in our body. Is that happening with us as believers? Are we allowing the sufferings, the difficulties, the struggles to show more clearly who our Lord is and how good He is? For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We can't say that. It's 21st century Christians living in America. There are some believers that identify with this much more than us. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We ought to be dying to self every day. That type of death. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore I've spoken. We also believed and therefore speak. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 14. 
Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace, I have that underlined, the abundant, overflowing, all surpassing, not only equal to every situation, but above and beyond any of the situations that might cause us to suffer might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Grace to glory, grace to glory, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light, take my yoke upon you, for it is light, same word. For our light, easy to carry, not for you or me, but for the Lord Jesus. For our light, affliction, which is but for a moment, we're not home yet, worketh for us. It is actually at work on our behalf to produce benefits that we're not even aware of, can't even imagine. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, why is it so difficult to deal with suffering and struggling? Because we look at things that are seen and not things that are not seen. But this verse 18 reminds us, there are some things that are not seen yet that puts this in context. When we look back, we'll say, Lord, I'm so sorry I grumbled as much as I did. Lord, I'm so sorry that I did not have more of a heart of gratitude and I I did not express love and praise to you when I was going through difficult... Because Lord, now that I see the context of your glory and I see the overabundance of your grace and Lord, I've experienced the goodness in a way that I couldn't have imagined. Lord, I'm so sorry. I think many of us will have those type of feelings when we come before the Lord and we see Really see how good His goodness is. Now the last point is this, and we close is, you are blessed. Do you see those words? Rejoice. Be glad. With exceeding joy. Here in the midst of suffering wrapped up in it, we are told that, that we are, we're to rejoice. Reminds us of what James, Pastor James said to his people. He said, listen, Count your trials as joy. List all of your difficulties and your struggles, and you can write them all down, and then out beside them you can say, joy, 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 joy. Well, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't seem that way. Am I just kind of tricking my emotions? Is this just some kind of spiritual mind games to say, well, I'm suffering, but I need to be joyful. Okay, I'm really beat up. Okay, I'm good. Hallelujah. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is deep beneath the surface that you and I cannot see except through eyes of faith and biblical understanding that God is at work in every difficulty of life. And because we trust Him, not because we feel like it, but because we trust Him as we see Scripture and as we trust our good God and His grace and mercy, we Choose volitionally, intentionally, Lord, I choose to trust you. I choose to turn my heart toward you in praise and in joy because I know you're always good and faithful. That's not only difficult to do in the flesh, it is impossible to do in the flesh. That's why we got to be on our knees, broken before the Lord, 
hearts open before his word, allowing the spirit of God to rise up within us and give us strength. The spirit of God in you, if you're a child of God, will bring you to a place of joy in the worst of situations if you allow him to. Holy Spirit can do it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is all about bringing glory to God. That's what he, to fill the whole earth with the glory, with the glory of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's Him in us, Him in the church. That is God accomplishing what He desires as He sits enthroned in heaven to do on earth. Thy will be done, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Your glory filling my heart, filling my family, my marriage, my children, my singleness, whatever it is, God, I want You to be glorified. And Lord, I want to rejoice and be exceedingly glad because You are God and because You are so, so Good. First Corinthians two nine says, "I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him." You think about the best that you could ever imagine. Think about the greatest that you could ever comprehend. Just try to imagine how good the goodness of God is. How great God has prepared for you. His blessings are. You can't do it. I can think of some pretty good stuff. Can't you? And sometimes they border on silly, don't they? I mean, if you like chocolate, I mean, it's just like the Willy Wonka factory. You're just swimming in chocolate in heaven or whatever. I mean, we we don't really know, but it's beyond what we could think. Or maybe if you're a hunter, I mean, there's trophy bucks everywhere and you're just thinking, wow, this is what heaven... I don't know what it's going to be. We cannot do it. That's the whole point. There's no way that we can imagine how great God's goodness is. Not only is going to be, is now. God we, is the eternal God. Now faith is. He's good now. We don't know how good, but he's, he's that good now. Beyond what we could think. And that's what the Word of God reminds us of in times of struggling and trial. This was a quote uh, that I just read in 1 Corinthians 2.9 of Isaiah 64.4. I would encourage you to look back and see the context of Isaiah 64, 4 there. And I want to close. Can I close with just one more passage of Scripture? I'm, I'm always one more passage of Scripture. I mean, I just, I'm just kind of the one more preacher guy that you've got. One more passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Trials. Struggle. Pain. Death. Having to endure one more scripture on Sunday morning when your stomach is growling. Whatever the trials are. By the way, if your stomach growled and I just happened to mention, I didn't hear that, so don't think it was you. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, same word used in Romans 8 that we looked at, the heirs of promise, that's you and I, the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable, unchangeable, impossible to separate, to vary, to change by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong encouragement or consolation or assurance 
who have fled for refuge. Where are you fleeing from? Struggle, burden, difficulty. The results of sin. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope, the confidence that is set before us. Which hope we have, what does it say, child of God? As an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. And that anchor, of course, verse 20 says is, who? Jesus. Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we uh, enter into this holy moment, I pray that You would speak to our hearts, that You would draw us to Yourself. Oh Lord, we've all failed in this respect. Especially I have. Lord, we need to be reminded of these truths not just once, but over and over and over again it seems. And Lord, we apologize for that. Thank You that You remember we are weak. And we are but flesh. But Lord, that's not an excuse for us not trusting You and growing in You. Lord, speak to our hearts. Draw us near. Lord, help us to love You more. Help us, Lord, to have this anchor of the soul in our relationship with You that cannot be shaken, that cannot be pulled away by the storms of life. Oh Lord, not just so we'll have a better life. Oh no. Oh, but Lord, that You would be glorified. The glory goes to You. The honor goes to You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.